Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today on this Easter morning and ask that your words would speak to us. May we be open to listen to what you're telling. May the Holy Spirit that we know is dwelling here amongst us empower us to be drawn closer to you. We ask this all in your Son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. 2,000 years ago, something happened. Something that would change the world forever. At that time, there was a nation, much like our own, called the Roman Empire. Everything that happened in that world the Roman Empire was the center of. But this event didn't happen in Rome. It didn't even happen in Greece, the old center of the Greek Empire before the Romans. It happened in an inconsequential city on the edge of the Roman Empire, the final frontier where no one wanted to go. If you got stationed there as a Roman official, maybe someone was mad at you. They sent you away. But it happened in Jerusalem, the ancient city of the Jews. This event started like many do in the empire. An outlaw went and got himself killed because of what he did. There's one thing that the Romans didn't tolerate, and that was... Rebellion and revolution was in the air in Jerusalem. There was a man named Jesus who was attracting quite a following of people, and they were beginning to say that he was the Messiah, the long awaited servant of God who would bring Israel their independence, just like our founding fathers brought our independence from the heavy hands of the great British Empire. Well, Jesus was going to set his people free from the Roman Empire, and he was going to become king. But the revolution ended when Jesus was crucified as an outlaw in the Roman Empire. Or so, that's what the Romans wanted to think. But three days later, it would become clear that the revolution had not ended but it had only just begun because on that first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. On the first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. And today, that's what we gather to celebrate, the empty tomb. Okay, so that was all history, right? Who wants to talk about history? Happened a long time ago. This is the reality, all right? There is an empty grave somewhere in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. No one's ever found the body. And a movement that bears that person's name went from so inconsequential that it was 100 people in that little city in Jerusalem. And within 400 years, it overtook the entire Roman Empire and became the religion of the emperor. Now, if that tomb wasn't empty if that body was somewhere to be found. The question is, well, where is the body? Why is the tomb empty? Why do we have this little gray egg that's empty 2,000 years later? 
On the first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. You can reject the Christian faith. You can be indifferent towards it. But the reality is this. If you want to be honest to yourself as a human being, if you want to be honest and say, you know what, I'm going to try to live my life best to what I believe to be true about the world, then you have to deal with the empty tomb. And if you can't deal with the empty tomb, that's all right. Just admit that you're not willing to deal with it. But it doesn't discount what happened. Today we're going to look at Luke's version, or Luke's version is the wrong way to put it, the way that Luke tells the empty tomb story. So if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. And in the Pew Bible, that's page 919. So Luke chapter 4, or Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. This is how the story begins. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spies, spices they had prepared, and went to the tomb. So we open with this sort of interesting sentence that doesn't tell us much if you don't know what happens before. Well, if we look at chapter 23, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to do this. Well, we see that in part of chapter 23, Jesus was here. It was for uh, just the leaders of the Jerusalem area. And they sentenced him to be crucified. Verse 26 and on, he is crucified. Verse 44 is where his death is recorded. And then at the end, verse 50 and on, we learn some important information. We learn that a man named Joseph from the, the area of Arimathea took Jesus' body and placed it in a tomb. And we also learned that, that women who were with Jesus, who had come from Galilee, his hometown, and followed him to Jerusalem, they followed Joseph and Jesus' body and saw where the body was placed in the tomb. And now we're told that they're going on the first day of the week to bring the spices they have prepared for his body. And a couple important things about what's going on here. First, the women knew where the grave was. So no one can say, oh, the reason the tomb's empty is actually because the women didn't know where the grave was. Luke says right here they knew. So if you're a first century person doubting this account, well, maybe you can go ask the women. So it's not like this is some story created in a vacuum. And also we know that it was Friday afternoon, and for the Jews, the Sabbath started Friday sundown until Sunday, Saturday sundown. And on the Sabbath, you couldn't prepare bodies and things. It was against Jewish law. So the women were only going to the tomb on that first day of the week on Sunday morning because they didn't have a chance to prepare the body before the Sabbath. The only reason they're going to the tomb is because they're, preparing, they're wanting to prepare the body. They're not going expecting anything other than to find Jesus' body there waiting to be bathed in oils and perfumes and prepared for burial. But when the women arrive, this is what happens in verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So the women go to the tomb, 
and they come up to it, and they see that that stone's rolled away. So this scene is probably pretty much what you can imagine in any children's Bible. Um, tombs in Jerusalem would have been cut into the side of hills, or they would have been made maybe out of a cave that was turned into a tomb. And they'd have a big disc-like rock that's, I mean, probably taller than me that would roll in front of the door. So you could move this, but it wasn't easy. But they come and the tomb is open. So um, according to New Testament scholar Craig Keener, someone who I read for this sorts of information because it's what he's an expert in, he said there's two reasons why the grave might have been opened when they arrived. Either grave robbers had come and they'd stolen the valuables or hoped to find valuables to steal from the grave, or some of the Jewish authorities had seized Jesus' body. Those are the two options that the women might have considered when they see the grave open. So they go and they see that the body isn't there, looking into the grave. So when they see the body is not there, that automatically rolls out grave robbers. Grave robbers didn't steal bodies. They stole the valuables that bodies were buried with. You didn't need a body. And the other option, it could have been the Jewish leaders then who stole the body or had it seized in in their possession. But the problem with that theory is that when we read the beginning of Acts, the same Jewish leaders who had Jesus crucified bring Jesus' disciples before them and say, why are you continuing to preach the message of a dead man? And they say he is resurrected. And now if the Jewish leaders had his body, that would have been the time to say he's not resurrected, it's right here. But they didn't have the body. With no body, they could not deny the resurrection They could only discredit it. So the women see that the body's not there. On that first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. So they find the tomb empty. They're looking to anoint his body. And this is what happens next. Continuing in verse 4 of Luke chapter 24. While they were wandering about, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning rods, or like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their face to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? So the women barely have an, a chance to wonder about what happened to the body. And there's two men next to them. Now, these men are not identified as angels in the story, but the description matches the way that first century Jewish people and other literature talked about angels. So these angels come and they tell the the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then they continue in verse 6. They say, he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while you were still with while he was still with you in Galilee the son of man must be delivered into the over to the hands of sinners be crucified on the third day be raised again then they remembered his words so what's interesting about this is it's almost as if the angels expected Jesus's followers to know that Jesus wouldn't be in the tomb but 
they have to come because for whatever reason, the, the Jesus' followers don't get it. So the angels are only there because they have to be. Jesus had already given his followers all they needed to know what was going to happen. Now, this is important, all right? And this is important because Jesus' followers weren't expecting him to be raised from the dead. Now, one of the main arguments that people use to discredit the resurrection is that Jesus' followers stole the body and hid it and then made up the story about the resurrection. But when you make up a story, you don't write it like this, that none of you knew what was going on and you couldn't figure anything out. All right, now, you could, now we could say, okay, well, they were just clever. How could they have assumed what we would think 2,000 years later and wrote it for us? That's not how it works. They weren't even writing this story for us. They were telling the story of what happened. We just happened to have the story 2,000 years later because the world has been changed because of what happened on that morning. The earliest disciples did what they did. They didn't understand. They thought everything was over. They were ready to pack up and head back to Jerusalem after giving up a lot of their lives to follow Jesus. There was no sense that he would come back from the dead. Remember, the women were going to anoint the body for burial. They weren't going expecting it to be resurrected. That's not why they went to the tomb. But when they met that angel on that morning, the first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. So the women, after they are reminded, they remember. So they decide, oh, well, we're going to go back and we're going to tell the other disciples. So verse 9, this is how it continues. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. To the 11 being the 11 of Jesus' closest disciples still remaining without Judas. And then all the other followers who were with him. And then we learn it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So now we learn who the women are. They're not just anonymous women in a story made up by Luke. They're women who you could have went and asked what happened in the first century. Mary Magdalene, a very popular or um, prevalent figure in the Gospels. And then also Joanna, which I'm not sure if she's mentioned anywhere else. And Mary, the mother of James, who could have another name, Mary, the mother of Jesus. James being Jesus' brother, and the other women were there. So these aren't people who are anonymous. Luke's almost telling his readers, if you want to check my story out, go talk to the people. They're still around Jerusalem, where they were when he wrote. They're there for you to interview. They're there for you to talk. They're there to tell you the story. They're happy to show you the tomb. All of these sorts of things. So the women come and they tell the disciples and they don't believe them. 
So why is it that the disciples don't believe the women? Well, again, Craig Keener, our Old Testament expert in the history of that time period, says there's two possibilities. The first one being that the disciples rejected the story because it didn't make sense with the story they thought Jesus was living. Meaning they thought that the Messiah was supposed to come and throw Rome, throw over, overthrow Rome with, for the Jewish people. But the Messiah wasn't supposed to die. So because Jesus died, there was no place in their story for the Messiah to be resurrected from the dead. So they said, this has got to be nonsense. And another option, and probably, I mean, I don't know if I want to say this is the bigger option, but this is definitely a problem for the story, is that women did not have legal authority to testify in court in that time period. So women weren't really valuable witnesses. You couldn't use them if you needed to defend yourself. You couldn't use them in any sort of civil matter. So there was no reason for the Jewish men to listen to the women. Now, I would say it's probably a combination of both these things. The men wanted to trust the women, but their cultural situation made that hard. And also because they just didn't think this was part of their story, it didn't make any sense. But what's important is if they were making up this story, it would not have been the women who found the tomb empty. You didn't write a story and make your primary witnesses people who had no value in giving witness in public testimony. But they tell the story as it is. The women went to the tomb and it was empty. On that first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. Now there's one disciple who considers that maybe the women are onto something Peter, and this is what he does in verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So Peter decides to investigate the tomb. And he goes and he sees that it's empty. And he doesn't know what to think. But when Peter went to the tomb on that first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. The evidence is before us. This isn't just a story that was told by people hundreds of years later. A lot of people in our day and age like to think about the Christian faith, I think, as something that is just a, an idea or something that people do that makes them feel good about themselves. It gives them an idea to be able to live a certain way. It's a moral framework for living. But it's not about that at all. It's about an event that happened in history. We like to talk about the history of the Roman Empire, the history of all the ancient empires. We have more ancient manuscripts about the New Testament than any other document from antiquity. Over 5,000 copies from these stories. But people doubt the reliability of the Bible because they cannot believe that a man came back from the dead. 
The thing is, the first century people didn't expect people to come back from the dead either. They knew that dead people stayed dead. It was a miracle. It was God proclaiming that his son was defeating death. And the revolution was beginning. The revolution where God was going to overcome the powers of evil and establish his kingdom. A place where all people could come for harmony and reconnection and love and peace and justice. Where it was a good place to live no matter who you were or what you looked like. And it all begins on that first Easter morning when the tomb was empty. Christianity isn't about a moral structure of living. It isn't about believing something because you want to be a good person. It's about weighing the evidence and deciding, did this event happen in history? And if it did happen, if there's an empty tomb, we all need to deal with it. And if we're not dealing with it, we're just choosing to overlook the facts right before us. We can't prove it 100%, but the thing is, the people who tell us it's not true, they don't have any more legs to stand on. They can cast doubt and they can say, oh, wait a minute, well, people don't come back to life. But we all know that. We know that people don't resurrect from the dead. The whole point of a miracle is it's outside the physical ways in which the world works. And it's Hard to believe. But there's an empty tomb and there's no other answer. On that first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this Easter morning to celebrate the resurrection of your son. And we ask that you would convict us to consider why the tomb was empty. For those of us who have spend our lives devoted to following you. May we still consider that there's an empty tomb somewhere in Jerusalem that one day had your son laying in it. And on that first Easter morning, he was no longer there. Be with us. Lead us to be more like your son. And place him as king over the world to return so that we can live in a life of the new resurrection where our bodies are perfect. Where pain is gone and where death has been done away with. We ask this in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.